Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens, and I'm sitting in the studios of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, broadcasting from Antigua. Sitting across the desk from me is Pastor David Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, good evening, Brother Nathan, and I'm very thankful for those who are opening the doors uh, to the broadcast this evening. Have you encouraged someone else to listen to That's Truth? If you haven't, go ahead and send a WhatsApp. Call someone. Maybe call down the hallway to a family member. Maybe send an email to a family member elsewhere in the world. They can listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org. We're here for the next 90 minutes answering your questions. Now, last week, we began a discussion about extramarital affairs, and we are going to continue that discussion tonight. Again, we are not here in any way to glorify extramarital affairs, but rather to discuss how affairs begin and warn you so that you can live a Christ-honoring life and stay faithful to your spouse. And you may be thinking, well, I have a strong marriage. I don't need to worry about an affair. But let me remind you that a marriage, like any relationship, is work, and we can't just coast. We have to constantly be striving to improve. Pastor, one thing that you said last week that really hit me hard was the fact that you said that between 30 and 60% of all marriages will be affected by an affair at some point. Yeah, That's de- a- yeah. depending on the statistics, there are uh, two sources I looked at, and uh, one said about 30 and one said about 60, so some between that range. But definitely it, it is a astronomical number. And the reality is that whether we like it or not, it's happening and it's happening rapidly and it's happening very often in relationships. And it's not just... Non-Christian relationships, it affects Christian marriages also. Yeah, it said about 50% uh, of the Christian marriages at some point in time will encounter some kind of infidelity on the part of the uh, partner. Now, we covered a lot of material on the program last week, but Pastor, can you give us a general summary of what was discussed? Well, we pretty much made it very clear that the issue of um, affairs uh, within marriage is a very relevant topic and um, very, very common. Also, it's very, very demoralizing. Um, it degrades the couple, and it's very destructive to the home, to the marriage, and to the family. Yet, it, it's something that happens very frequently. And it most likely happens when a partner cheats with, some, cheats with somebody who is a very close friend. And that's the staggering thing about it. it. It's normally people who know each other for a long time and people you don't expect to get involved with. Um, something happens and that, that, that takes place. Um, 
The other thing that uh, I probably should say that, uh, generally speaking, men are, uh, are the ones that almost in every case initiate the affair. Uh, although that trend is changing and women are now coming up to the same level, statistically, men are the ones that normally initiate that. But now it's becoming more common for women to be actually initiating affairs, which is a shocker. But that gives you an idea of the moral uh, status that we're in. Um, men w would normally pursue an affair um, as a result of, of, of just for raw sex. Women, on the other hand, generally speaking, would, not, uh, would pursue an affair because they're unhappy in the marriage. Two different things altogether. Men are more uh, sexual prowess um, in, in, in what they pursue than women. And um, the other thing is that the online, I've learned that online affairs are becoming far more prevalent and is f so destructive now to the marriage. What do you mean by an online affair? Um, carrying on, sometimes it, is, it, it eventually leads to intimacy, but it's not intimacy, uh, where they get everything that is in the f families discussed with the individual, private things are shared. There's an emotional bond that develops over the over line, so the husband doesn't know what's going on. It's not as though the wife is out. So he suspects, well, she's normally home at 6 o'clock. How come she's coming at 8? Uh, she can be having an ongoing affair with somebody on the Internet or, or whatever. Uh, the husband's completely unaware of it. And that's becoming, I'm told, very, very common. And it's very, very, very destructive because it's so subtle and so secret that uh, the, 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 the couple is not aware of what's really going on. That is something I think is um, uh, worth thinking about and understanding how destructive the technology has become um, among married people. Yeah, I know we're, we're going to discuss ways to guard against, but I'm curious, what would be your approach to keeping that from ever being able to creep into your marriage? I, I think that the computer should be made uh, used in a public place, in other words, in the home. I think as long as you have um, a computer in secret and he got one in secret and you're not too sure what's going on, I think that that really panders uh, to this kind of practice. So somehow I think the, the couple needs to mutually agree that in the use of the computer, we use it in a public place. Now, it's so sad that the breakdown of trust has reached to this stage where who do you trust these days? And this is the big problem we're having. But if you, if it's a reality that's happening, uh, we can't bury our heads in the sand and pretend it, it's not there. So we have to come up with a system. How do we hold each other accountable uh, to make sure that this is not something happening behind the scenes that we're not aware of? I think the couple needs to work out some kind of a system. Uh, the other thing is that I don't know much. I'm not a not computer savvy. But uh, there are ways and means that you can check what sites a person has been watching. And I am not too sure how you'll go about getting that done. But I, I, if you want to take all the necessary precautions, that may become necessary as well. And there might be filters that you can use uh, in the process. But if we don't uh, act now, and this is, a I mean, this is a real, real problem now, uh, and maybe because it's not as prevalent down here in the Caribbean, but it's going to happen eventually. You've heard about dial a porn and all this kind yeah. of stuff like that. These are things that are happening and very, very destructive to the marriage. Do you think it would be unhealthy or overkill for 
a husband to know the password to his wife's phone and vice versa? Oh, no, I think that's the ideal. Uh, I don't think there should be any secrets between a husband and a wife. Uh, I think that would be really fantastic. I, For example, in my home, all my kids know my password. Um, in the church, anybody can go, basically. I, I don't have anything to a code, whatever it is, uh, because the, the best thing is transparency yeah. and openness. Where there's secrecy, there's always the possibility of the enemy using that as an occasion to cause you to fall or to move away in a, in a dark direction. So I think the more openness you have in a relationship, um, I think the better it is for that, that family. I interrupted you. You were talking about uh, general information in relation to affairs before we jump back into the topic. Yeah, the other thing I would like to say is that it might seem um, brazen to say this, but literally, fact, uh, society is, a, is uh, hypocritical in regards to this whole matter of affairs. They pretend that they're against affairs, but in truth and fact, they encourage infidelity. And they do that by the role models that they lift up in society. They do that by the advertisements that you see. They do that by the television, the news, uh, the media, the literature that is used, and the movies, uh, and the soap operas. So even though they, they claim that they're against uh, affairs, in truth and fact, they're really endorsing and encouraging affairs by uh, perpetually putting this kind of material out uh, to create discontent among married people. So I think they're very, very hypocritical uh, to to um, to be harsh on people who have affairs, but yet at the same time, they're actually enhancing it and fostering it by the type of things that they they put on the media and in television and uh, et cetera, et cetera. The other thing I like to say about that is, uh, infidelity is a choice. Uh, whatever anybody says, it's a choice. Uh, nobody. Uh, pushes anybody to, to, to get involved in any kind of extramarital affairs. Ultimately, it's a choice that you make. Circumstances may not be ideal, but ultimately, uh, the individual must bear the responsibility because it's a choice that they make. So we must not try to excuse uh, people getting involved in affairs. Uh, we must be willing to confront people that they're actually responsible for the choice that they've made, and choices have consequences, of course. Um, the other thing that is worth mentioning is that the, in spite of the fact of the uh, gravity of the problem, um, most marriages survive affairs, and, and that is where you really have hope that um, it, it, it might sound kind of drab and very um, disconcerting to, to hear this problem is so prevalent. But the, the, the bright side of it is that most of these marriages will survive. And the other fact is that some marriages that have survived, many of them, become even better as a result of learning from the infidelity because sometimes we don't grapple with problems until it has created some major crisis. And then it's only then that we begin to deal with the matter. And so we, we look back in retrospect and we recognize there were some things that we could have done, some mistakes we've made. And it haven't turned out that way. We're now determined that to rectify that problem and deal with the problem. So sometimes after an affair, this is not endorsing affairs, okay? But the reality is that some people have gone to affairs and their marriage become much stronger than it was. And they put more effort into the, the marriage now than they did before. 
it's unfortunate it acts that way, but a lot of us, like, we don't care the car until we get the first major breakdown. And then when the cost hits us, then we begin to pay attention to the get the oil and the and the water and small things like that. Like that. So, but their relationship still, it would have been God's plan for the marriage to have never been affected of by course, the Of course. The will of God is very clear in the in the scriptures. Marriage is permanent. Marriage is a union between a man and his wife. The two become one. No third party should enter a marriage. The moment a third party enters the marriage, the oneness is destroyed. And that's why I believe the God has given a legitimate basis for divorce when that once that oneness is destroyed. And then the other factor too is that it takes a lot of time to rebuild trust. Uh, I will point out later. It pretty much takes the same amount of time the person who is the infidel, who has been unfaithful, the, the amount of time it took for him to get into a relationship and the amount of time it takes to end the relationship, if that takes two, three, or four years, it takes that same amount of time for the marriage to recover full trust. The problem is that uh, the person who is guilty of the fear thinks that he can just say, forgive me, part, and then it's all over. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. The the curve, if you take uh, the recovery curve and the unfaithfulness curve, they follow the same pattern. So it requires about the same amount of time to, to deal with the unfaithfulness as it took during that period of unfaithfulness. And men need to realize that. So you've been floating along for two years, three years. It's going to take about two or three years to rebuild your trust of your wife so it becomes normal again. And that requires commitment and hard work, dedication, and of course, faith and trust and hope in God. Without that, I'm not sure how you'll make it. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse every Tuesday evening. We are broadcasting from the island of Antigua, and if you have a question, whether it's about extramarital affairs or maybe another question about the a Bible topic or something, you can give us a call and be put live on the air. The phone number is one 268 462-7420. Maybe you'd rather not call and be put live on the air. That's fine. Speaking live on the radio is not for everyone, but you can WhatsApp or text your question to us, and you can send it to 1-268-782-1454. Text or WhatsApp, 268-782-1454. Pastor, do you have any other general information you'd like to mention? Well, uh, <clears throat> all I would say to people is that no marriage is immune to um, some kind of extramarital fear. It's a delusion uh, for anyone to think that their marriage is so together that it can never happen to them, and you let down your guard. Uh, as you pointed out in the introdu- introduction, marriage is hard work. It is something you've got to keep at. Yeah. You, you just can't let down. And uh, the problem is that people are so different, needs are so different, so diverse. Uh, sometimes we think because it, this is not my need, we don't fully appreciate the other person having a need. And especially because men and women are so different, um, we don't speak the same language sometimes. And consequently, that opens the door for infidelity. So uh, every marriage need to be careful and watchful. And um, we need to be aware that it can happen. It can happen to us. Pastor, we have a question that has come in since the program last Tuesday. And that question is, Pastor, what about if you never loved the person you are married to? That might surprise people to to, uh, to know that um, 
that is not a, a question that is very unusual. There are a lot of people who go into a marriage, and they've got, as I mentioned uh, last time, there many, many motives for marriage. And in, in most cases, for women, marriage is about security. I'm not saying there's not romance, there's not love there, but generally speaking, for a woman, it, it's uh, romance. For a man, most of the cases, it has to do with uh, sexual pleasure, in the pursuit of that. So people have mixed motive when they're going to, to into marriage. Um, but if a person is married um, and now they discover that they don't love the person or never love the person, that is not an excuse for a person to jump out of marriage. Marriage is a commitment between two persons. It involves vows before God. And I was trying to remember the, the verse in um, the book of Psalms which says that about the person who will um, dwell in God's holy hill, that he will swear to his hurt and, and not um, renege on it. In other words, you have made a vow. The vow you've made turned out to be not as um, helpful or, or not as pleasurable as you intended, but yet rather than break the vow, you keep to the vow because you made a vow before God. And, and uh, when you make a vow before God, these are not something to be taken lightly. Um, so when a person reaches that point when they realize that, this is not an occasion where a person just jumps out of the marriage and says, well, I, there's no love, therefore there's no marriage. Marriage before God is, is um, a vow and it's a commitment. It's a covenant between you and your partner and it's made before God, so therefore you are held to your, to your vow. What I would say to a person is this, God does not expect from us anything that he will not empower us to do. If God says that you can love your enemy, and you should love your enemy, it's because he will empower you to be able to love your enemy. And my question, my problem for people who ask that question, I am sure your partner is not your enemy in most cases. It may not be the romantic love that you want, but that person cannot be, it's not your enemy. And if we can love our enemies, and God can enable us, God can enable us to love our husbands, our wives, where there's not the romantic thrill that we see on television or that Hollywood has made us to believe happens. The other thing is, um, Brother Nathan, I've said before, many marriages in the East are contracted without even the persons meeting each other. There's no romantic love there whatsoever. But they make their marriage work because they understand that marriage is a commitment and you grow into love. This is what we don't understand. I think Hollywood has done tremendous damage to our psyche in terms of understanding what love is about. But love is something you can grow into. You can you can have hate for such a per, for a person, and then you can, that hate can turn into love. Uh, I think, for example, <clears throat> if I might use an illustration, I think, for example, of Mandela. I mean, you can't uh, comprehend the atrocities that were committed against him for over 25 years in jail. But yet when he came out, uh, he did everything in spar to bring about reconciliation. And there was no visible hatred. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I think that if a man like that who was never made a claim to be a Christian could adopt that kind of attitude, uh, and I don't think any wife out there, any husband out there would have gone through imprisonment for 25 years and brutality for 25 years. Uh, so I don't think it is that bad. So if he could do it, it's well within the realm of the human possibility. And I think God can enable a Christian uh, to be able to develop that kind of love in a person. I said one other time on another occasion that our Lord made an interesting statement in the book of Genesis when he told Cain, if he would do well, he would feel well. 
In other words, it's the action that affects and give you right feelings and right emotions. If there is no perceived feelings within the marriage, what needs to happen is a change of behavior and a change of action towards each other. If that happens, it's like the Bible says, you know, if your enemy hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty. And the Bible says, well, you build coals of fire on his head. You break down his hatred and his resistance by acts of kindness. Uh, and, and that is the biblical way of dealing with the matter. What I find with people is that they want... They don't want any inconvenience. They don't want to work at anything that's difficult and hard. Uh, they've got this um, romantic idea that love must always be on the good side. There must not be any problems. I must have this this uh, deep, uh, passionate feeling. If it's not there, therefore it's not love. Love is acting in the best interest of the individual. And uh, once you begin to act in the best interest of the individual, emotional love, romantic love will come according to the change in behavior. But if you've got a person now that the other partner doesn't know that there's no love, this is where you need some kind of counseling between the couple to understand what is happening. And the couple must be prepared to work, do the hard work of developing uh, this love, which will eventually lead to romantic love. But if that were not possible, I think you would be able to uh, vindicate a lot of people getting out of marriage because a lot of people do not marry for real love. They marriage either for sex or for security, and love comes way down the line. Not that there's some not some romantic interest in the person, but not the true authentic love that uh, the scriptures talks about. I was reading a study today that was done, and it found that religious people, highly religious people are more likely to be married, but they are just as likely to experience a divorce. Would you say, and that study was done in 2018, would you say that part of that reason is because we've started to buy into the idea that love is a feeling and not a choice? Well, I have said on more than one occasion that what has happened to the detriment of the church is that the church has become psychologized. And what I mean by that, uh, those ideas of, of feelings and marriage and so on, uh, those are not ideas that you cull from Scripture. Those are ideas that infiltrated the church because we've introduced uh, pop psychology into our teaching, into the Bible reference, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the general acceptance of psychology and what psychology says uh, has been introduced into our colleges, which train our pastors, uh, who eventually come back into our churches, and they themselves are brainwashed in the process. But love is not a feeling; love is a choice. And our actions are what will produce our feelings. Now, by the way, let me just say this, Nathan. I don't want to miss this point. If that were not so, that it is our actions that change our feelings, there's no way we can deal with feelings. In other words, feelings are not something you can touch and you can, you can deal with. And that's why the scriptural teaching and that was taught very early. If you change your behavior, your whole feelings will change, your emotions will change. So the, it's a behavioral change that's required. That person that doesn't love her husband or that man that doesn't love his wife, he now has to be taught to show affection towards his partner. And you have to come up with some kind of a structural um, structure within the marriage, how that is expressed. And generally speaking, you need to discover from the couple, what is my love language? 
what is her love language? Uh, there's a guy called Gary Smaley, I think, that wrote The Five Love Languages. I would recommend that couples get that book and read it because we don't always uh, view love the same way, and it depends on how I view love. Some people view love that is the small things you do for me. You help, you help me wash, you help me cook, you help me clean. Other people view love, they like small gifts. Uh, the birthday gifts, they like a chocolate, they like a uh, uh, whatever. Uh, some people, it's affection. They like to be hugged, they like to be touched. You've got to find out what uh, makes her feel love. He has to find out what makes him feel love, and then they reciprocate. And once that begins to happen, feelings begin to change. And don't forget this. If God breathed life into man and took a dead body and uh, make that body alive, that same God can breathe life into a dead marriage and, and make it sparkle again. Pastor, a WhatsApp question uh, in relation to this question about what if you don't love the person from the beginning they say but what if we were married for papers or for sex but that that's still not that's still not an excuse to end the marriage uh the choices we make in life have consequences and what should be my concern as a Christian? Now, I'm, I'm speaking from a Christian perspective, not talking from an unsafe perspective. From a Christian perspective, my primary duty in life as a Christian is to follow God's will. What is God's will? If God's, what is God's will for marriage? What is marriage? And uh, we can't say that marriage uh, only Christians are married. We can't say uh, marriage is whether you're Christian or not. Um, your, your, it's, uh, marriages are vowed before God and they're valid whether you're Christian or not Christians will find themselves in hard situations where they made wrong decisions but we don't uh, get out of those situations by violating a bi- biblical principle that is sound and the Bible makes it very clear Christ made it very clear that marriage is permanent so what we have to do rather than try the, the easy route of jumping out of the marriage one other example in Corinthians 7, I, I pointed out last time that Paul deals with a situation where here you are, two unsaved people. Um, one gets saved. The other one now begins to think, well, it'd be good to have a Christian husband. Uh, I'm not a new, new believer in Christ. I am now belong to the body of Christ. My husband is an unsaved person. And what the Corinthians were thinking was the way to do was to jump out of that relationship, marry a Christian. And then Paul said, no, 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 that's not what you do. If that person chooses to remain with you and wants to remain with you, you are bound to stay within the marriage. On the other hand, if the person leaves and abandons you, then you're free in the case. But that's a similar situation to this same one. Uh, It is slightly different, but the same. I'm in a marriage, and and, uh, I don't have love. I I don't have what I got married. Now I find that I don't have the real love that I needed, so therefore I jump ship. That's not the biblical way of dealing with it. You stay within your marriage, you work through your marriage, and you ask God, who has changed your heart and changed your mind, to bring about a change in your life in respect to your partner and begin to do the hard work of uh, building a marriage and uh, developing love and real romantic love within your marriage. So just to confirm, you're saying that we should, if you're married, you should stay within your marriage. Unless, look, there are only two biblical grounds for divorce. 
I repeat, there are only two biblical grounds for divorce. I'm trying to stay within the parameters of God's Word. Uh, I'm not using human reasoning here now. I'm not trying to use psychology. I'm not listening to men in the world telling me that if I'm not happy in a marriage, I can jump ship. That That is not valid when it comes to a believer. I'm saying from a Christian perspective, infidelity and abandonment are the two biblical grounds for divorce. If those two are not active in the marriage, the only other option you have is separation. But you cannot use the fact that you don't think you have romance in your marriage and you don't think you love the person to jump over the marriage. You made a choice, you got into the marriage for whatever your motive was, but that doesn't mean that your vows are not valid before God. Uh, You ought to hold your vows. And I can guarantee any person who is a Christian, I repeat, I can guarantee any person who is a Christian, who sincerely wants to be obedient to God's word and do God's will in respect to the marriage, that no matter what stage it is at, if you seek God's help and are willing to do the hard work of trying to rebuild your marriage, it is possible because we serve a God of wisdom, a God of grace, a God of power, and a God who can change and transform people's lives. Amen. Very well stated. You're listening to That's Truth, call-in program, live call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We would love for you to call or send in your question. If you want to call and be put live on the air, you can call one 462 7420 phone line is open and waiting for you to call. If you would rather... Uh, WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to one two six eight seven eight two one four five four. If you're joining us on Facebook Live, thank you for joining us. Maybe you're listening on AM or FM or online at www.radiolighthouse.org and you're curious what goes on behind the scenes of the program, you can get a behind the scenes video live video feed at the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page and just look for the Facebook Live video. Pastor. Yeah, Yeah, Brother Nathan, I just want to put another very pertinent point here. You know, I I try to tell Christians this. If um, Christians are not able to deal with their problems, face the problem and um, resolve their problems, if Christian marriages that are going through hardship and difficulty, and perhaps even... uh, at the terminal point. If we're not able to reverse that by our faith in God, by the guidance of Scripture and our hope, um, I don't know how in the world we will be able to help people in the world. Uh, I don't know how we think. Our job and our purpose down here is to live for the glory of God, to serve God, to obey God, That's our primary purpose down here. Our primary purpose is not about happiness, the pursuit of happiness. That might be the American Constitution. But that's not in the the, the Bible that the pursuit of happiness is my my purpose. Mm -hmm. Look, Christ told me if I want to follow him, i got to deny myself. That means there are things that I have to forego, that I want to pursue, things that I think I am entitled to. He tells me, and take up my, the cross, take up my cross, whatever hardship I'm faced with, and follow him, right? Uh, so I, I'm saying to believers, we need to rethink our Christianity and understand that we're here for a very brief period of time. 
70 years, three score and 10, by reason of grace, it be extended. But that, in that brief period of time, our job is to glorify God with our lives, serve Him, obey Him, and that may entail going to hardship and self-denial. But that is what the Christian faith is about. This is why the bogus Christianity that's being proclaimed on television, the health and wealth Christianity, the feel-good Christianity, uh, it's a distortion of what the Christian faith is about. So we've got people coming into the Christian faith uh, not with a view that they will serve God and even suffer for God, but when they come into the Christian faith, all their problems will be solved, and they'll be easy sailing until the Lord returns. And then they're struck with disappointment because that's not reality. In the world, you should have tribulation. I mean, it's very, very, very clear. We are prone to the same problems and difficulties as the unsafe person. The difference is that our commitment to God, our trust in God, and our faith in God and our hope in God is what gives us a buoyant spirit and enables us to face these things. Pastor, a very heartfelt WhatsApp question that has come in while you were talking. Good evening. As a woman in a marriage, I feel like the only time my husband sees me is when he wants sex or thinks that some housework needs to be done. So I feel very used. I have a constant thought of giving up on the marriage. We are Christians and have sought counsel. However, there seems to be no improvement. Pastor, what can I do? I sympathize with your pain. I can almost feel your pain in the words that you express. I mean, yeah. people are not don't open up that those personal details and their true authentic feelings uh, unless they're really, really hurting and want to feel it at some point. Madam, I, what I would say to you is this. Don't give up on your marriage. But I don't know who you've been to. I don't know who your counselor is. But I think your husband need to be sternly confronted. And, and uh, you need to... Something has to be done. Otherwise... Um, I don't want to speak ill of it, but I don't know if you can continue indefinitely with those kind of deep, deep, dark feelings. And uh, uh, the pain, your pain is so deep that I, I, can, I am just uh, almost overwhelmed with your words. But I would say to you, give it a chance and try to get your husband and your, to, to, to come in and talk to somebody. Uh, I don't, again, I don't want to believe that I'm a miracle man. I don't want you to feel that way. But honest to God, if you would give me a chance to talk to you and your husband and try to help you, I would be prepared to do that. At, at, I don't charge for counseling, by the way. So you don't have to worry about, about uh, that aspect of it. But I'd be willing to invest hours, days, and weeks uh, in in your life to try to get your marriage on the way it should be. I think if you're telling me that he's a Christian and you're a Christian, uh, I see immediately hope in that relationship. Yeah, I really see hope in that relationship. So, look, we double your effort, uh, but something has to be done, and I would suggest to you that um, you need some help in that regard, and I think you need to approach your husband again and really try to get uh, some help in terms of counseling. Uh, I wish I could share with you um, my experience along a similar line like that. I've had an experience exactly like yours, and I can only say to you now, uh, to give you hope, 
that that has changed, that has transformed, that is blossoming. I keep in contact uh, ever so often to find out how things are happening. And all I can say to you that I I have finally found a couple who have recovered from something probably even worse than yours. Hmm. Uh, that are making the marriage something that is really spectacular. And that's because they were prepared to really work through the process. And by the way, they've been to counseling after counseling after counseling to the extent where I they had, I was told uh, it's no use trying again and all I requested was give it one more try and and again there's no magic to this whole matter but I'm saying to you madam if you're listening there is help provided that you and your husband because it's a, it requires the concern of both persons to be willing to work on a marriage it's not a one-sided event and if you love your husband and would like to stay within your marriage, uh, he has ripped all the emotion out of your marriage, and you just feel like a you just feel like a prostitute, basically uh, performing as he needs to perform. There's no romance, and uh, you just do your duties. That is humiliating. It's demeaning. Uh, your self-concept must be so low now that you probably think you're zero with the edge run out. But there's hope. There's hope because you just told me that you're a Christian and he a Christian. I'm saying to you, if you need help and you're prepared to, to work uh, towards that process, and he's prepared to, to, to uh, pursue help as well, Madam, there's hope and there's help, and I believe that marriage can change. I can almost guarantee you that if you're prepared to do the work, it will change. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.08. Pastor, let's jump in with the topic from last week as we've been discussing it. But what makes a marriage prone to extramarital affairs? I know that's a very broad question and it's probably hard to answer that exhaustively. But what are some things that you believe make a marriage susceptible to extramarital affairs? Well, I, I can't give you an exhaustive list, of course, um, but I could mention um, several of the prominent causes uh, or events that could um, cause a marriage to, marriage to be um, to be prone in that direction. One, I think, is the uh, a marriage that is chronically stressed, where it is unhappiness in the marriage is very high, and uh, it is when you reach that stage that the dynamics is so unpleasant that the temptation to seek uh, some form of escape and the person justifies breaching the marriage and the trust in the marriage because the, the, the stress the ongoing stress of the relationship um, now gives them some measure of justification to pursue an affair so marriage is going through stress again there's constant unhappiness constant quarreling constant dissatisfaction um, reverting to the same old patterns again and again and again and we don't seem to be making progress we we, we go two steps forward and three steps backward that um, is a, a, a marriage that is at very very high risk of um, leading to an extramarital fear another thing uh, Nathan is the upbringing and what I mean by that is if you're brought into a home where Affairs were, were normal. 
um, your dad is running the field, or you know that, they, they, and you'll hear these things. For the, by the way, for the partners quarreling sometimes, disputes that they'll have either on the phone, whatever it is. Uh, it, we're told that uh, you're more likely um, to go the route of actual fear yourself because it is something that is normal within your own home setting and you've been brought up in that kind of environment. It's like people who are brought up and see their daddy uh, abuse their mom and physically abuse her. They say in their mind it'll never happen. But in 90% of the cases, they repeat the same thing their dad done, did, or their mom did, whatever it is. So the, the pattern that is set in the home and the normalcy of it within the, the, the home setting uh, would incline a person that when things begin to go difficult or hard, that they automatically would go in that direction. Isn't that discouraging, though, for the listener who says, but pastor, I look at my in-law's relationship or I look at my spouse's parents and and that is not the kind of relationship I want. You're saying that I'm destined to possibly have that kind of relationship? I said 90%. <laughs> I didn't say 100%. Uh, that is... What surprises people? Uh, that and uh, I just think that it's the you take the idea of um, violence. The husband has learned to control his wife by exercising violence. The he hasn't been taught by observation. His father hasn't modeled how to deal with problems in marriage by sitting down and talking and chatting and having a system of problem solving and communicating. He hasn't learned that. Now, unless he's had premarital counseling and he's read some good books or been brought up in a good church or something and had good influence, he goes into marriage. He now begins to have problems. He doesn't know how to deal with the problem because he doesn't have a method to deal with the problem. So what he does, his method of dealing and controlling his wife, he reversed back his whole his father's method of dealing. His his method was to abuse her and to brutalize her and to manhandle her. So he does the same approach. So he's not. No man is destined to follow in the footsteps of their parents. I, if I might say this to the audience, uh, my dad was an alcoholic. He pretty much died an alcoholic. I made up in my, my, my mind a long time ago. I would have nothing to do with alcohol. I learned from his mistakes. But they're alcoholic fathers, and they become alcoholic sons. they got drug dads who become drug sons. So I, you don't have to repeat the same. But what, what, what brought about the change in my life was when I got saved. My whole thinking changed. My whole value system changed. And that's where conversion is such a transformative experience in your life that no matter what your upbringing is that that um, that can be broken that power can be broken through the power of Christ and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit so we're not selling people that they're destined to pursue the same course of their parents but as a matter of statistics it's something that happens again and again and again okay and the other thing is the uh, that would lead people a couple it has to do with the social environment uh, who they move with, the couples they move with, sometimes even the work environment encourages infidelity. Um, your friends, um, if your friends are having extramarital affairs and they make it seem so glamorous uh, and they they talk so enticingly about these experiences, uh, the human nature that is so depraved uh, could be pulled in that direction as well. Um, the other thing is when you lack emotional clo- closeness with your partner, 
human nature has a, 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 um, a desire for intimacy. And where there's this lack of intimacy, uh, you, you try to find it. Uh, sometimes you don't deliberately plan on, on finding it in a particular person. But when you, you don't have intimacy in your home, in your, fa- in your marriage, but then you meet somebody who somehow exudes this intimacy that you've been missing, and you get attached to them. Uh, you don't get attached with the idea that I'm going to get into an affair. But once a person gets emotionally attached to an individual, that is a female and a male, it is almost inevitable it leads to a physical relationship. No physical relationship generally starts without some kind of emotional attachment, unless you're a prostitute or, or somebody who you're a sex maniac or you're some kind of a, an addict. But generally speaking, there has to be emotional attachment first. So if there's lack of closeness in the marriage, that almost um, can lead. And then uh, engaging in, in secrets with somebody unwittingly, uh, sharing with that person um, things are going on in your marriage because you can't openly discuss them with your partner because, number one, he doesn't listen. He might shout at you. He might become violent. So what happens? You find a person that you can download this kind of stuff from. You're having a secret. I don't want to call it a relationship because not it doesn't begin a relationship. It becomes a secret um, friendship. But you feel comfortable now being able to share all these secret little things, etc., etc. And again, don't forget this, that <laughs> women fall for conversation, talking. Men fall for touch. It always involves some kind of touching. That's the distinction between a male and a female, substantially. So when she is communicating along with a person who's given her that kind of response and that kind of uh, uplift, it it leads to emotional attachment, which I put at least a physical. Uh, another reason for um, is p- when you have a tendency to avoid conflicts. In other words, the issues, but you can never discuss issues because every time you discuss an issue, there are conflicts, so you avoid conflict. When that happens, you you uh, you thwart self-expression. When you thwart self-expression, it means that they are hidden on on uh, hidden on unmet needs, which create loneliness, and loneliness creates the search for a partner. Mm. So you have to be very careful. Uh, that you're not able to express it. And then the other thing, uh, Brother Nathan, that is destroying a lot of marriage and creating a lot of fears is the one that is so common, porn addiction. Uh, It is ruthless on marriages. And I feel pity for any partner uh, if their spouse has become addicted to uh, pornography. Can you remind us, rough statistics, how many people are affected by pornography? I don't remember the right off the bat, but it is it is very, 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 very high. I probably have to give you that statistic next time. I don't want to give a bogus number and then I have to retract. Uh, but the, the pornography, uh, as you know, I've said this on the radio, is the main problem in the church. I make no bones about that. The statistics of pastors, for example, uh, I, don't, I wish I could just quote it off my head, but it's astronomical the surveys that have been done in connection with pastors and in connection with the congregation. Uh, it is extremely, extremely high. But pornography um, demoralizes your mate uh, because, to be very honest with you, your mate can't compete with pornography. 
absolutely not. And remember, a lot of pornography is just not real. Right? It is people who have no emotion, no passion, who act as though they've got the deepest passion, but there's no real meaning to that. And we imagine that to be real. Uh, so once you become addicted to pornography, um, your, your, your interest in intimacy with your wife firstly disappears. As a matter of fact, that's one of the, one of the clearest signs that your, your husband is probably involved in some kind of uh, extramarital affair, whether it be pornography or whatever, is the disinterest uh, in, in the frequency of intimacy. You notice a tremendous change in that. Uh, that is a warning sign that something has happened and it should, should alert you. So those are seven of the common <coughs> causes or reasons why people move in that, uh, that direction. Thank you very much for those of you who have sent in questions tonight. We appreciate your openness and your willingness to ask questions. We will, if you are worried about your identity being found out or anything, we will not even mention where the questions are coming in from. You can call and be put live on the air. The phone number is 1-268-462-7420. Again, call... 268-462-7420. If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 1268-782-1454. Pastor, uh, what about warning signs that your marriage may be drifting toward an extramarital affair? Well, I hope people understand that affairs <clears throat> don't just happen. There's a process, and uh, there are certain steps and choices that people make uh, that lead to, to infidelity. And there are some signs that would are indicators, red lights, that you may be drifting uh, to an extramarital affairs. Uh, let me just share um, this with you, because most affairs happen gradually and they happen very subtly so it's not something you just get up one morning and say I'm going to have an affair uh, most of these things are gradual things uh, let me just make a few comments one would be uh, a drifting marriage and what I mean by that is when the couple uh, are having these repeated problems in the marriage and they are now at the point where they are not making any more effort to try to address this prolonged problem. Uh, they're pretty much giving up and uh, say, you know, live and let live, um, I'm going to quit trying. When you find a marriage mar drifting in that direction, that the desire to continue and to try is now waning and at the point of coming to a complete end, that is one of the signs. Of, uh, the other one is when you begin to create excuses to visit someone, um, and what I mean by that is, um, suppose you're having problems in your marriage, uh, and you met somebody that right now there's absolutely no interest whatsoever, but you just have good vibes, you just like talking, and it may be there's a social environment that is created, um, for example, taking coffee for break. If you find at a point in time that you always want to take coffee break with the same person all the time, you ought to be aware what is this is something that's subtly happening. 
you are enjoying the person's conversation. Especially now, if your marriage is intact, I'm not talking. About, I'm talking. You realize your marriage now is drifting, but you're now finding it that you are having the same coffee break all the time with this individual because you like the conversation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You're going to be very or uh, you make excuses to drive a certain route that you will see this person all the time. That is saying something to you that you need to be. That's a red flag. That's a red flag. Why do you have to travel this route all the time? Because you just want to see the person. There's something there. And then uh, making phone calls to the person with unimportant issues. But in truth and fact, there's an ulterior purpose. You just want a conversation. So I would say to you that when you begin to create excuses to visit a person or to talk with a person frequently, and your marriage is drifting, that is the beginning of a step to an attachment. Um, the other thing now is what I call um, w- with repeated uh, um, contact. Not only um, going in the direction where you're creating excuses, but now you're having this repeated att- uh, contact. For example, you know they're in the choir, so you join the choir. You don't join the choir really to, to sing, you're choir, you in the choir because they're in the choir, so you want to be part of that because they're in the choir too. And again, if you're a Christian and your marriage is, and you that's your that's your reasoning, that's your rationale. I am saying to you that something is happening, and you need to be very, 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 very careful. Another th- fourth thing would be when your thoughts are preoccupied with the other person. Uh, you're daydreaming, you're imagining, and you're having fantasies. Uh, maybe not romantic fantasy or sexual fantasy, but you're having fantasies of good times together. And you find that in your moment when your mind is empty, it's not filled with your husband, it's not filled with your children, it's filled with this person again and again and again. So what is happening with your thoughts are becoming preoccupied. And then uh, you begin to exchange small gifts. That's a warning sign. Right? Uh, maybe a chocolate, um maybe a flower, uh, something small that might seem insignificant. But when you begin to do that, and then after a while, you think more about the gift, and you spend time on the gift, and the value of the gift begins to increase. I would say to you that you have to be careful that you are drifting slowly into a trap. Uh, Not something you deliberately plan, but your emotions are working behind the scenes and your heart is blinding you to what is really happening. You're not really seeing the facts of what is happening. And then um, the other thing would be then the amount of time that you now begin to spend with each other on different devices, the telephone, the internet, uh, Facebook, whatever it is. You're not now in the office where people can see you. But now you're spending an inverted amount of time um, just talking, just talking, just talking. You, you've got all the different means of communication. You just seem to be involved in talking, talking, talking. And here's another one. When you start searching for the person, consciously putting yourself in a situation that you can see the person. Uh, no, so when I go to the market, I'm trying to find, see if I can look around for the person. When I go to town, I'm trying to see if I can see the person now. So, in other words, what I'm doing, I I, I, don't, I may not understand what is happening, but 
a process is taking place and it's happening so slowly and so gradually that if I'm not careful and alert to these things, I can find myself going off on that trail. And in today's day and age with technology, there could also be uh, searching for the person online, yeah, yeah. Uh, Facebook stalking, as Correct. they might call. Pictures. Yeah. Right? And the other one is body language. You may not be saying in words, yeah. I am available, I am interested, but what is your language saying, your body language? If the eye is the window to the soul, what do your eyes say to that person? See? Uh, so these are subtle things. When, I, when you begin to see these things are happening, uh, one, and then here's a, a little, little thing. When you find yourself beginning to touch you know, it's not that maybe you come into the office, you never, but now you're touching the shoulder. Uh, you know, you're you're coming through the door, you're bumping the person. When you find that you now begin to do those kind of things, um, believe me, the light is flashing, and you better take heed to what is happening because you are coming to a point of entrapment, emotional sexual entrapment, and you need to be careful. Pastor, we have a caller calling from Antigua. Thank you for calling, and go ahead quickly with your question, please. Um, my name is Elder Peter Cardington. Yes, sir. And I want to ask a question about um, Mary. Um, when Mary did have Joseph, and she beat um, his husband, after he had Jesus, did Mary become... All righteous living for today who are living under the name of Jesus Christ, their did, mother. Did Mary do what? If after Mary have Jesus Christ as a baby, and we know if he is our Lord and Son, yeah. did all righteous Christians for today have this step to call Mary as their mother for today because of the birth of Jesus Christ? Uh, sir, um... Mary was a sinner just like you and I are sinners. There is no such thing as the Immaculate Conception. There is no such thing as the Assumption of Mary. Uh, there is no value in praying to Mary. Uh, there is only one mediator between God and man. That's the man, Christ Jesus. We have no right to call Mary mother. We have no right to call any man father other than God the Father. And uh, if you go to, to the Bible... Uh, you'll see that that is very, very plain. So I don't call Mary mother. Mary is not my mother. Uh, and Mary is not the mother of God either. Mary is the mother of the humanity of Jesus Christ. And that needs to be clarified. But uh, So I think you're coming from a, a, a Catholic way of thinking. But yeah. again, you need to go to the Bible, let the Bible inform your mind in regards to these matters. Now, when people begin to speak on these issues, people yeah. get offended because they've become so accustomed to hearing this kind of teaching. And then when you bring them back to Scripture, for example, Mary had children after Christ was born. Uh, no, they said that um, Joseph did not know his wife until after Jesus was born. So Mary had children after Jesus Christ was born. The Catholic Church has made sex something that is to be shunned away from, and they've put so much emphasis though sex is evil when God created the sexual act. So yeah. I would say to you that uh, Mary is not my mother. I hope she's not yours. I hope I, God is your father, and I hope that uh, you're trusting in Jesus Christ. Okay, well, um, we have two um, parts in the Bible that prove she is our mother. What's that? When Jesus, the part when Jesus was dying on the cross, uh -huh. and he 
No, but that was no. Let me correct. Let me correct that one. Let me correct that one. There. Here's here's what why that was saying. Jesus was now entrusting her his mother to the care of John. She's not saying that uh, she is our mother. He's specifically assigning John the responsibility of taking care of his mom in his absence. So that has no application whatsoever to you or to me. It's a specific. What's the other one? The other one is when he was um in his disciples and his um, and his brethren and then when he uh, when his sisters and his brother was coming to you, so he said, I have no these are my brethren and my mother and my sisters and them. Yeah, but that's not that's referring to those who follow him. Uh he's not saying that uh in other words, the, the, he's saying that Remember the occasion there is when they were saying to, to Jesus, Jesus was um, teaching. You know, his brothers didn't believe on him at the time. And they thought even that he was mad in some of the things he was teaching. And so the people called him and said that your mother and your, and your, and your brother's out there waiting for you. And Jesus turned to the people and just said, you know who's my mother and my father and my, my sister? These are the, the ones pointing to the people who are listening to his disciples. These are the ones who are my my mother and my my my, my brother and my sisters. See? So my earthly brothers and sisters at that point in time, uh, his brothers did not believe in him, and he's saying, "My these people who follow me and understand that I am God and serve me and worship me and my disciples, these are my brothers, these are my sisters." That's what he's saying in the text. Read it again; you'll see that's the teaching. Yeah, I know because you know. If you use that as an example, because you know God is my father and God is your father. Well, if I, if you're a born again believer, yes, God is your father. Mm. If you're not born again, uh, he cannot be your father. He becomes your father by adopting, adoption when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Yes, now, God yes. is our creator, every man's creator, but God is not every man's father. God is only the father of those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Well, that's how Mary became our mother now, because, because after Jesus born now, Jesus became our fleshly God. Jesus and became after, what? Jesus became as a fleshly God to all mankind, yeah. to Mary. Right? Sir, all I would say to you is there's no reference in the Bible anywhere to anybody having to pray to Mary. To pray to Mary is just... Stark. Hey, no, 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 no. We not pray. We not said to pray to Mary, no. Yeah, but how, how, how is she the mother? What, how is she the mother then? Because she is the, the flesh of um, the flesh of all righteous living for, for today. Because she is the one that brings Jesus out of her womb, right? She was and an instrument. Let, let's be very clear. God is the one that implanted the seed in the womb of Mary. Mary was just like a human instrument, like anybody else. Mary has no power than any no, but, other but, uh, any other what, person. But what I'm saying, he may say that God is our Father, as as on, on earth when you're on earth. If you have a father, you must have a, a holy mother too. What do you think about that one? Uh, I, I I go by scripture. I don't go by what I think or what you think or what I imagine or what the church teaches or whatever. I go by what scripture. Nowhere in scripture. Are we ever told that Mary is the mother of the believers? We only told that Christ is Lord of the believer, God the Father, the Father of the believer. But nowhere in the Bible are we ever told that Mary is the mother of the believer. I said a righteous mother. I didn't say that a sinful mother because she can't be your mother if you are living in sin. But she is a mother of all righteous who are. No, no, you don't find that in the Bible. Abraham is the father of all righteous as well, okay? Because we follow in the footsteps of Abraham. 
and we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. I don't follow in the footsteps of Mary because Mary doesn't offer me redemption. I don't believe so. I believe that she is um, a woman who can do things for you. Who can do who can what? For you. Who can and do what? I, I believe she is a um, mother of righteousness today. Yeah. Well, so, you, have, you have that view. I, I, I don't think I can change your view, but I will tell you your view is not a biblical view. So if you want to hold a, uh, a non-biblical view, you have the freedom and the right to, to hold to that non-biblical view. But I can say to you that Mary can do absolutely nothing for you. Jesus Christ and Christ alone is the one that intercedes before God the Father. I don't need a mediator between God the Father uh, because He is the mediator. I don't need an interim between Christ and the Father. Uh, she cannot do anything for me. She cannot do anything for you. You turn to Christ and you turn to God. No way in Scripture are you ever told to turn to Mary for any kind of help. It is a false belief. It is idolatry. And it is completely contrary to Scripture. Codrington, thank you very much for that call. We appreciate your call from the island of Antigua. If you are listening and you have a question for Pastor Murphy, you can call and we would love to put you on the air. The phone number is one 462 7420 If you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to one 268 782-1454. Time across the Eastern Caribbean and in our studios of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse on this Tuesday evening is 835. Our goal here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse is to answer your questions from the Bible. As Pastor has referenced a couple of times tonight, not from man's perspective, not from psychology and what psychology says or teaches, but what does the Bible say? Because the Bible is the one and only unchangeable source of truth through all time. Pastor, back to our topic of extramarital affairs. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to mention in relation to what might be some warning signs that my marriage is drifting towards an extramarital affair? I, I think, generally speaking, I would just say to um, um, especially the the point I've been making and I've made consistently that there has to be the drift towards emotional attachment before physical involvement. And what we need to preempt the emotional attachment, otherwise it can lead to physical involvement. And I don't know if um, to say to people that this, this is the warning sign, the moment you get in attached emotionally to anybody that is not your partner, that is a red flag that something is possible and if you don't deal with it then, it leads to something else. That's all I'm saying. Pastor, do you think it's ever possible that, let's take the workplace, you have a man and a woman who are not married, but they're working in the same workplace, and the the woman, they have a a close relationship, but the woman sees that she's getting emotionally attached, but the man is completely oblivious mm -hmm. to the fact. Do you ever think that's doable? All things are possible. Or vice versa. Yeah, I think that's possible. I think I think that's very, very possible. You think about uh you think about the male and female interaction. As I said, the workplace is the primary source of infidelity. It's the most common place of infidelity. And that happens very much because uh, there is an authority figure that is admired that probably is a, a problem solver 
that seem to have all the answers. Women gravitate towards that kind of leadership. It's, 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 it's in the genes, basically. Every woman that marries, marries a person that she wants to be a leader. And that leads to admiration. And admiration uh, leads to some kind of attraction. An attraction leads to a, a, a bond, which ends up. So I think that it's possible that uh, a, a person can be admired and not realize it. Uh, so the key thing here is that even when a Christian institution, keep your boundaries. Keep your boundaries. I remember when I was working. I wouldn't say when I was working some time ago, many years ago, that I saw the secretary came behind my chair and came over. And I said, move from there. In other words, that if I had allowed that, I don't know where that would have led. Yeah. See, so you have to keep your boundaries. Don't play with the flesh. The flesh is so weak. Uh, and uh, so I would say, even in the be vigilant in your workplace, and uh, as much as possible, avoid being alone with the opposite sex. Totally avoid that. Somebody must be nearby uh, rather than... So I would say to anybody, whether Christian or non-Christian, avoid being alone with any person of the opposite sex. Pastor, we have a caller from Bendel's Antigua. Thank you for calling, and go ahead quickly with your question, please. Uh, good night, Judy Panil. Hi, good evening, sir. Yeah, uh, Pastor Mathieu, let me ask you a question. Sure. Uh, about baptism. Is it wrong to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit? Well, if that was wrong, I'd be baptizing wrong all the time. <laughs> That's <laughs> okay. the only way I baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That we no. could, uh, why, why ask for that? Because I want to tell the church and say it's wrong to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Yeah. So we have to baptize in Jesus. Yeah, what happened yeah. is this. There's a group that are what you call extreme dispensationalists that um, try to relate the book of Matthew uh, to referring to the kingdom time and referring to the, the Jews only. So there is a form of extreme dispensationalist. <laughs> yeah, that word is just <laughs> tongue tangler. Yeah, but those who practice uh, the dispensational uh, uh, belief uh, as a basis for their theology, there's an extreme form that means that only in this dispensation, the church dispensation, uh, the believer must be baptized only in the name of Christ. But in the kingdom dispensation, uh, it was in the, f uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But biblically, um, I do it. I, I don't see any grounds that would desist me from baptizing in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I don't see why anybody would have a problem with that. Hello. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. Look, sir. May may I say this? You know, you've got all kind of weird beliefs about baptism. Well, there's some people who sprinkle. There's some people who um, put a mark on their head, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but again, you, you, as much as possible, you get your practice on these ordinances from Scripture. See what the Scripture teaches, and uh, mm -hmm. I think that you'll find legitimately. Uh, Jesus said, going to all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's the one that gave us that mandate. So, that's what I know, because I know I baptize in the name of the Father and the Spirit, and he, and the pastor tells me that uh, 
teach is, is a wrong baptism that we have to be baptized. <laughs> 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 maybe maybe he needs to be rightly baptized. <laughs> 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 let, let brother brother let the word of God be okay okay uh, the yes. opinions of men uh, value them but they're never the final authority the final authority is the word and be guided by the word rather than just the theology of men or the opinions of men <laughs> what was the other question sir uh, yes about the, the rapture uh-huh. you say about the one for the thousand Jews dummy let me save after the, the, the tribulation. Uh-huh. They come the, the, the domination that preaching that the Christian will be there in the time of the rapture. Yeah. In the time of the tribulation. Yeah. There are three. And they right. come that believe that we will be cut off before the tribulation. Yeah. So there, there are three uh, views on the rapture. There's the pre-tribulation that will occur before the tribulation. It's the mid-tribulation that halfway during the tribulation period when the great tribulation begins, believes in raptured. And then there is the post-tribulation that the believer goes right through the tribulation period and then he's raptured. I have said this before. The Bible tells us God has not appointed the believer to wrath. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the believer is not appointed to wrath. We shall be saved for the wrath to come. Those are two biblical verses that would help you to understand that the... The uh, tribulation period is a period where God is dealing with the nations and uh, dealing with the nations in respect to Israel. Uh, please remember that. From Revelation chapter 4 to Revelation chapter uh, 21, the word church is not mentioned. Uh, throughout that tribulation period, the word church is not mentioned. It's a matter of God regrafting Israel into his program. Read Romans 9, 10, and 11. And you'll see clearly Israel's past, Israel's present, and Israel's future. And part of the Israel's future is that one day God is going to regraft Israel into his plan. And that period will be during the tribulation period. If you read Daniel chapter 9 of the 70 weeks, you'll find that the 70th week, which is seven-year period, which is yet to come. 69 has been completed. There's one last week of years, which is seven years. If you read the book of Revelation, it talks about 42 weeks. It talks about 12, 60 days, three and a half years and three and a half years, the same time mm-hmm. period. Daniel talks about the same thing, uh, a time and a half. Uh, so if you take the Bible and you coordinate them, you see that it's a matter of God dealing with... Uh, and by the way, our hope is the rapture. That's the hope of the church. I mean, you can't read Paul's epistles without seeing that this is the hope that Paul keeps lifting up to the believers. The trump will song and we shall, uh, we shall be raised. Uh, I, I, sh- I show you a mystery. Read Thessalonians chapter 4 and mm-hmm. Corinthians chapter 15. You'll find that it talks about the fact that we are going to uh, experience the rapture. So it's what we look forward to. We don't look forward towards wrath. We look forward towards rapture. And of course, you have biblical examples of that. Enoch was taken before the flood came where God put his wrath. And then you have the example of Elisha. Uh, so being raptured so the example and the model and the types to every uh, type there's an anti-type and I think very clearly that there has to be an illustration of the uh, the rapture in relation to Enoch and that's where I think the rapture comes into place and explains that same kind of event but notice it occurred before judgment came before the, the flood came but but during the during the 
tribulation, they they souls that will get saved. Of course, a great because multitude, John, a great multitude that no man can number. Okay, yes, in Revelation seven, but John said, "Get a little that get saved during the tribulation." Oh yes, from every tribe, from every nation, from every tongue. Uh, so there is going to be a great awakening, uh, and uh, don't forget that one hundred and forty-four thousand Jews. Yeah. will be chosen that will go and they will become the church's rapture now they become the evangelists to carry the word and there's going to be uh, a lot of Gentiles are going to be saved a multitude the Bible said no man could number but then Paul gives us a warning in Thessalonians that those who be supposed to accept the truth now mm-hmm. that God will send them strong delusion that they would believe the lie and come under the judgment and the wrath of God so those who don't take the opportunity now and who are um, banking the fact they're going to have a second chance and a third chance. The Bible says in Thessalonians, those who don't believe the truth now will be blinded, judicially blinded by God, so that they believe the lie and be misled. Same thing has happened to Israel, by the way, today. The nation of Israel has been judicially blinded by God because they rejected the Messiah. That's why the nation as a whole is in darkness, but individual Jews are still being saved. But the day is coming when the veil will be removed from their eyes and they will recognize that who they crucified was the Messiah. And uh, Zacharias tells us they would weep as a mother in in travail when they recognize, I can't believe this, we actually crucified the Messiah. And then the scales will be removed from their eyes. That's yet futuristic. But the church's hope is not wrath, it's rapture. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you very much for that call from Bendel's Antigua. We appreciate it. If you've got a question, you can call in. The phone number is one two six eight seven eight two. Excuse me. The phone number to call and be put live on the air is one two six eight four six two seventy four twenty. If you'd like to WhatsApp or text your question to us, you can send it to two six eight seven eight two one four five four. Pastor, we were talking about uh, in the workplace. And uh, how men and women are many times thinking differently and that maybe one individual will have an emotional attachment and the other person is just being friendly and is not aware of how the other person really feels. Is it ever appropriate for someone else in the workplace to draw attention to maybe a fellow believer and say, I'm not sure that this much time talking or I'm not sure that this situation is necessarily healthy or prudent? Look, we are our brother's keepers. And if we were to see a situation where a person is not aware of how deeply involved they're getting, uh, I think it's right and proper to draw that to the person's attention. Do it in private. And um, ask them if they have, you have the liberty to share with them. And uh, not that you're prejudging them, uh, but it is an observation. And even if the observation is false, it, it's perception, and perception is reality. So what you have to do is to try to tell the person, uh, uh, if I am seeing this, other people are seeing it as well. The other thing I would like to say is that married people ought to act like married people. And what I mean by that is, if I am married uh, to a, a person, I ought to be able to draw lines so that I let people know I'm married. You know, I shouldn't pretend as act as though I'm not married and I'm flirting. 
so I think we need to, you know, uh, people, men have trouble because I think that they don't draw the line. If you can, t- you can tell a, a person who you seem to be moving towards your direction. Uh, I'm not that kind of a person, or you know, I don't appreciate it. I would, I would ask you to keep your bounds, something like that. We could be friends, and I don't mean to offend you. I think if we were to be uh, more aware and deal with it so forthrightly, I think the less the temptation would be there to continue this subtle trail that's leading to more attachment, real, more attachment. But I think the problem with us sometimes we are afraid of offending people. But if I'm going to offend you in your interests, I ought to say to you, look, I'm saying to this as a friend, and uh, I hope uh, you understand I have your best interests at heart. I think if you were to came, you came to me and told me something of that nature, and I know you uh, a genuine, authentic person, I, I would might be disappointed, but I wouldn't be offended. Uh, that you would think that way because I would say to myself, you know, maybe um, he's seeing something that I'm not seeing and I need to be aware of this as well. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We have eight minutes left in the program. If you have a question, go ahead and send it in or call in. Phone number is 268-462-7420. That's the phone number to be put live on the air. WhatsApp or text your question to 268 782 one four five four. Nathan, one other thing, I feel too that people who are working in a, a Christian radio station like this or a Christian institution, I, I do feel that if they begin to see suspicious things, it ought to be brought to the attention of the management or the person in charge. Uh, there are lots of Christians who know things. I, I, in my case. A lot of time, as a pastor, I'm the last person to know what's going on. But there are people who knew or heard or saw for a long time what's been going on. But I was not made aware of it. By the time I find out, the thing has gotten so so involved. I think we are our brother's keeper. And I think if we see something that we suspect, we don't want to be busybodies. Our interest must be the welfare of the person. And once that is our authentic motive, I think we ought to bring it to the attention of someone to try to address the matter rather than pretend it is not there and it gets worse and worse. And then when, we, when it happens now, we blame ourselves. We say, but I saw it coming. Hmm. Uh, I don't want to carry that guilt. I would rather be, I would rather offend you and it turn out where it, uh, it, it, it turns out for your welfare than to pretend that I don't want to be offended and then it turns out to a disaster. Pastor, what about the three R's of infidelity? Uh, there's a gentleman by doctor named Carl, Carl Fred Broderick um, who has identified that in truth and fact uh, most infidelity is involved with three, three things uh, and it's a kind of a process. The first one he said that uh, in a lot of cases of infidelity there is some resentment in the relationship. Um, that is where the p- person might feel that the husband is not is insensitive, or he makes excessive demands, or he neglects, or he lacks to communicate, or there's a general sense of re- of rejection. Uh, so, in in, in most inf- where there's a real uh, marital extra marital fears, that is one of the key factors. There's some resentment in the relationship uh, that the partner just resents being treated this way, being neglected, um, uh, all these massive demands, etc., etc. I'm like your slave. 
lady in the calling program, my husband only knows when he wants to go to bed. So that, that kind of a thing. So that, that developed. Then the other thing is that that resentment now leads to rationalization. And you begin to rationalize and to find a, a cause um, why you should have an affair. For example, you might rationalize, you know, I will never be happy. I'll never experience happiness in this marriage. So you're now beginning to rationalize. Or um, some people say, you know, flirting is fun. I don't intend to, to go any further, but it's I'm not getting attention at home, but I can just have this fling. This It's, it's just fun flirting. Uh, uh, the other thing is, Brother Nathan, is that most infidelity is rooted in virtue rather than vice. Let me explain what I mean by that. When you begin to have sympathy or empathy or concern or compassion uh, with a person, when you uh, want to help a person somehow, you have good intentions, that sympathy that you display leads to tenderness. That tenderness that you have with that person leads to privacy. That privacy leads to physical consolation, where you're consoling the person physically, and that physical consolation leads to the couch. So you've got to be careful now that uh, uh, that you're rationalizing, you're not going to be happy, or the person that has come to you has told you this, and you rationalize now that I really care about this person, I really want to fill the void in their life, I'm not going to get romantically involved in them, uh, with them, uh, so you're trying to console a person, and the more you've tried to console the person, the more sensitive you become with that person. And if you're not careful, that uh, could lead to this rationalization that you have good intentions, and with your good intentions, uh, you don't, you're not aware that what is happening um, between your attachment to this person. So I want to say to you, when you find that oh, a question, go ahead. Yeah, Pastor, we have a caller from Nevis. Nathan, thank you for the call, and go ahead very quickly. We've only got two minutes left in the program. Yes, I would like to bring up the uh, the situation between Potiphar's wife and Joseph. Yes. Um, Joseph tried to get get a, I mean, Potiphar's wife tried him. Yes. To get him into a relationship with him. Correct. But he refused. Yeah. What do you think of it? Well, as I said at the beginning of the program, infidelity is a choice. Having an affair is a choice. Extramarital affair is a choice. Uh, you might be uh, attracted. You might be influenced. But ultimately, you need to make a choice. In the case of Joseph, he was a wise man, very wise young chap. Uh, and the thrill of having a wife's boss uh, would appeal to most people. But again, you will remember that uh, Joseph... Uh, did not try to rationalize with her. She's throwing herself upon him, and you you can't fight that off. You got to run. Uh, that's why Paul says also flee useful loss. So he was wise to 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 uh, to avoid um, allowing her to captivate him, and wise to run away rather than try to rationalize and try to have a conversation. Uh, and you know, even telling her, you know, you should do this. Uh, the more he talks, the more she breaks down his resistance. So I admire the young man that he is prepared to do the right thing, and that is get out of that there quickly because he can't compete 
with a woman who was flaunting herself upon him. And he made the right choice. He avoided her. And that she, she, she was doing David. Well, David's mistake now is, you see the difference? David, uh, um, Joseph ran away. David went and brought the person right into his house. He's interested in her. He's infatuated with her beauty when he sees her watching from his balcony. And uh, a thought runs into his mind. And rather than uh, deal with the thought and and bring the thought into captivity and bring it into subjection to Christ uh, or to God's, God's will, David goes a step further. He actually brings the temptation into his home. And David was looking for trouble. And he ended up in trouble. Two different approaches. And by the way, remember what Joseph said? How could I do this great wickedness in the sight of God? Joseph lived under the scrutiny of God. That was what made this thing right. He saw and he lived under the observation of God. He was conscious of that. David, uh, in that moment, lost sight of God and he lost sight of his virtue. And that led to infidelity and and, uh, adultery. And of course, one thing led to the other where it ended up to cover up his sin. It led to murder. So it gets, it doesn't get, it becomes more entangled. And to become disentangled, sometimes some very evil deeds are done to hide the adultery. Nathan, thank you very much for that call from Nevis. We appreciate you being a faithful listener and a faithful caller to That's Truth. Pastor Murphy, as we uh, we still have a lot of information left, so we'll continue this topic next week. But any closing thoughts that you'd like to share in the last 30 seconds? I would like to say to that lady who called in, uh, who, who wrote in, I said, listen, I, I'm dead serious about your marriage being salvageable. There's hope for your marriage. Let's work on it. And uh, if you want me to help you, I'm not promising miracles, but I'm promising if you're willing to do hard work, help can become. May God help you. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for tonight's episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens. The voice that you heard teaching was that of Pastor Dr. David Murphy, the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Antigua. Be sure you join us again next Tuesday evening as we continue this topic on extramarital affairs. God bless you and have a great night. Keep your radio dial tuned to CRL. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM, If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.